Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 110 of State of the Game, the golf podcast that talks about stuff that matters. I'm Rod Murray, and what matters on this episode is insight, or insights to be more precise, with the governing bodies having now laid out a roadmap for change in regards to hitting distance at the elite levels of the game. Many have been surprised at the strong language employed by the USGA and the RNA in their release last week, and it now seems almost certain there will be some form of rollback of equipment for the most skilled golfers. Joining me to discuss what the future might hold are two of the strongest and most consistent campaigners for just this outcome from the US. Author, blogger, commentator, Jeff Shackelford. Jeff, this latest salvo looks to be pretty serious. Looking forward to teasing out what might happen from here over the next hour or so. Yeah, it was quite the um, quite the document dump and and quite the surprise uh, on a number of fronts that we'll we'll discuss from everything from this local rule to the driver length and and uh, and and opening the door to every possibility. Indeed, and it's that open door which I think is maybe the most uh, the most intriguing of all. From here in Australia, one third of the Clayton DeVries and Pont Design firm, as well as being a respected columnist and commentator in his own right, Mike Clayton. Good to have you aboard as well, Clayton. I'm sure that you were encouraged to read the headlines and probably at least some of the report, which most of us hadn't had a chance to get all the way through as yet. I was, yeah. I will be more encouraged when something actually happens, but. At least they're going down the path, it seems, which is good. Yeah, indeed. I'm going to start with you, Jeff. And in just in that sense, to kick things off, something, they already sort of have done something, haven't they? They've cut off this driver length issue at the knees. That's kind of dealt with, isn't it? And that's encouraging to see, I think. Yes, so they had a uh, study that they had tabled, um, and that's why they're allowed to essentially call this new component uh the phase two of the you know they essentially have two comment periods on everything and so this is now phase two so they're expediting it i, I i'm still murky on the timing i i got some very nice replies from the usga and I, I but they also it wasn't clear um obviously timing of about all of this is is um really a top of mind and but it, i think it's too soon my guess is that it won't happen in time for this year's uh, tournaments, but it'll happen. And the point is it'll kind of end the pre, I mean, there might Bryson DeChambeau might use it, although even he's kind of signaled, um, that, that it, uh, that it's probably not for him. And, uh, who is it? Brooke Henderson at Clates? Is it that, uh, yeah. she uses one? Yeah. Yeah. So I wonder how it affects her. Cause yeah. the, even though she grips way down the shaft, I assume that might be, it's, it's just a change. She's always played with it. I think, as long as I've yeah. seen her play, so it might be tricky for her. I really but, don't think they, yeah, I mean, I don't think that they, uh, they were targeting her or DeChambeau, do you? No, no I think that, yeah. yeah, I think they should have jumped on the driver head size when the greatest big Bertha came. Oh, well, that, yeah. You know, they should have said, well, that, that's kind of big enough. You're not going to go bigger than they just, they never put a limit on it, which was crazy. So, well, you know, and there, and there are people who will tell you that, it doesn't matter how big the driver is, they're still going to hit a long way. And that's probably true, but it certainly made it easier to, you know, the, the misses are so much better, despite what some people tell you that these guys always hit the ball in the middle of the club, they don't. And the misses are much better with the bigger driver. Yeah, well, they opened the door to that as part of this, but the, the, I think the driver shaft length was done as a way to uh, send a message and, and kind of a, t- a test run uh, on this, perhaps for enforcement, perhaps on just kind of just just sensing and testing the waters. Is it maybe so, lesson learned, Shaq, from that driver head experience? They realised they should have got out ahead of the driver head. It so sounds it like early? it. Yeah, I yeah. mean the way Clates just described it. Yeah, yep. that's that. I think that's a great uh, read on it. Like, all right, enough. And you know, just the whole narrative going into the fall masters, you know, he's taken three off, weeks off and here the latest report is he got this with his 48 inch versus the 46 inch. And that's just not what, uh, any of these people want, uh, going into a major championship that you're focused on somebody's piece of equipment to, to possibly try to dismantle the course. Uh, that had to just have the Augusta people annoyed. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so I think that's that's it's it's more that that uh, than the actual possibility in this case. But you never know, as you say, like with the the big headed driver. I remember when those came out, Clates, people kind of laughed at them, like they yeah. looked ridiculous. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, Wilson came out with a remember that whale driver? Yeah, the kill one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was so awful. That, 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 <laughs> I used that for a bit. It was such an easy club to hit. It was amazing. Yeah, but awful looking though. Oh. And of course, 
you know, you go back in history, they jumped on Sam Sneed in the Croco-style putting. Right. But they didn't jump on the long putter when Sam Torrance wheeled it out when they should have. Yep. You know, it took them 25 years to jump on that or about. I mean, Sam was, what, that was not in late 80s, probably. Yep. Early, yeah. Early, early 90s. 90s. No, late yeah, 80s. Of one of those tournaments in Australia in 1989. 89, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so, yeah. It, so, so it took them 20, 30, 25 years to jump on that, which was 24 years too long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it wouldn't have been the problem that it was if they had have done the right thing. They just jumped on it early. What it does do, though, Clates, I suppose, as a player, you would now be wasting your time to muck around with a 48-inch drive when you say so you're just not going to do it. So you've kind of killed the issue before it even gets started. There's no value in DeChambeau wasting a bunch of testing time on a driver that's not going to be usable perhaps by the end of this year. So you effectively yeah. finish it right then and there. Um, but the lesson of the, the long putter was that someone will figure out a 48-inch driver. It might right. be... 25 years from now, but someone will work out how to hit it. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. So that's, uh, I suppose that's an encouraging start. More generally, though, Jeff, I mentioned it there, a lot of people were surprised by, and I was surprised in 2019 when the Insights report itself came out at the strength of some of the language in there. Is this a change of tone, do you feel like, from the governing bodies? Yeah, I wrote a piece for the quadrilateral. They've had enough. Um, and I've thought about it more since writing that and yeah, just, you just look at what they did and they, they opened the, 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 the floodgates to any possibility really, which is, which is kind of a, a, a ballsy move to just sort of send them on wild goose chases. I still think they have a couple of things that they want to really nail down the, the, the driver face, the aerodynamics of the ball and their testing of those things and how those are tested. Um, but yeah, you, you look at it and you say, well, they, they've just had enough. They're annoyed. They're going to make these manufacturers do a bunch of things. And, I, and, and the more I've considered it, you just have to wonder if they reached a point uh, down, to, down to the surprise announcement. You know, they had been talking mm. about March yeah. and then suddenly it comes early February uh, and they gave them a, a notice the Monday evening on a Tuesday announcement. They didn't do any uh, embargoing of the press release with uh, golf writers. Maybe in the UK they might have, um, but uh, they didn't over here. So it was a, it was kind of, they went for a surprise move, and you have to wonder if they just got tired of either the, 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 the pushback, the game playing, or not responding to things, or um, flat-out uh, view that, that there's possibly impropriety. And I have no... Uh, concrete evidence of that, but I do know we've, we we are aware of shenanigans with um, attempts to to test things, and and the and all the heads are gone in the in the tour van and things like that, and um, and then you just see the general reaction from from the companies, and then they you know the Titleist has their players going out and doing their thing, and then you have TaylorMade CEO uh, bitching and moaning that uh, you know we're we're against this. Uh, but they're just like, there's just no uh, open-mindedness to the possibility of, of, uh, it sounds like to working with these mm. people. So it's, that was my read. They just went, okay, enough. enough. Had it. Do we have much of an insight into what the relationship is like between the manufacturers and the governing bodies? No. I think it's waxed and waned over these days. There's been periods where they've sort of all seemed to get along quite well. And there's been other periods, which seems like we're in yeah. now where there's some animosity. <laughs> they're almost quite open. Yeah, I Hard, hard not to believe it's animosity based on the way this was done. And, and, uh, and you know, all you have to do is go back to when they, they sort of budged on the adjustability of the clubs, which was a, which was a nice sort of response to uh, spring-like effect and trying to give the manufacturers something that they could market and, and a new innovation. And it's like they've already forgotten that mm. moment. I don't think Callaway has. You know, obviously they still are very stung by – uh, the, the, the various things that happened in the late nineties and they're, so they're more careful not to say, uh, things like the TaylorMade CEO said and, and, and then, uh, or, or direct their players to be saying things unless, you know, and, and certainly they're not directing Rory cause he was not on, um, on consistent messaging with them, basically rubber stamping the idea of bifurcation. So, uh, it's odd to me though, that they, they are not more tactful because at this ultimately it goes, you guys know, I mention this in any blog post I can, the rules of golf are totally optional for them. (laughs) They can make anything they want and they never do. So it's just all this bluffing. And it seems like they got their bluff called a little bit by this announcement. 
Yeah, indeed. Just back to the players, Clates, and you're the only one of us who's been a player and had a relationship with any manufacturer of any sort. It feels to me like, and Webb Simpson's probably the poster child for this here from last week, he made some clearly very uneducated comments about architecture, which is not uncommon, sadly, at the top levels of the game. It's easy to say, oh, look who pays him, but it seems to me like he genuinely believed the nonsense that he was talking, as did Ernie Els when he said something similar about this time last year, about growing knee-high rough and making fairways, you know, 10 yards wide, and then we'll really find out who the players are. Do you think they get their information from the wrong place, or are they being told to say certain things? I find that a difficult leap to make, that somebody at Titler says to Webb Simpson, you need to go out and say this if you're asked about it. Uh, no, I mean, Webb Simpson and Ernie, were cl- they were both at Royal Melbourne at the President's Cup, hmm. and... Clearly, I assume Webb thought it was a decent golf course. And you look at narrow, it wants narrower fairways, more dog legs, higher rough, and smaller greens, none of which are present at Royal Melbourne. And the the only one of the five things he got right was firmer greens. Okay, we agree with firmer greens. But, you know, look how many great holes around the world with big greens, wide fairways that aren't dog legs, which is not to say, I mean, the six hole at Royal Melbourne which is the fourth in the President's Cup, might be the best dogleg hole in the world, an amazing hole. And if you're going to build more holes like that, great, but they take up a lot of space. And you can't be planting trees on the corners and then making people hit balls over trees to get to the fairway, which I suspect is something he might like. I'm not sure that that's putting words in his mouth. But, you know, it's embarrassing to have, to me, for someone who's the US Open champion, have such such little idea of what constitutes good architecture. But they only see the game through the prism of the way they play it and how it affects them. And he did say, our courses, mm. which I guess let him out a bit in, in meaning that, well, it's only the courses that PGA Tour play, but that doesn't, you know, what do you do at Kingston Heath or Royal Melbourne or Sangdale or the great courses around the world that aren't our courses, but are actually, there are golf courses that were designed as championship courses to test the best players in the world, who are, which are now obsolete if the measure is how the original designers saw them playing. How does it affect the rest of the world? And I'm sure that never entered his head. He's just looking at how does this affect the PGA Tour and me and us? Well, you know, if you want to distort 45 courses in the world that probably aren't, lots of them aren't very good anyway, then I guess that's one way to look at it. But this affects way more than the PGA Tour. There's, there's a real danger in that, though, isn't there, Shaq, that the PGA Tour, and we, we I mean, the disconnect is getting bigger through sort of skill level. And sort of stuff. We know that amateurs are much, 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 much further behind pros than they have, at, have been at any other time in the past. But if you disconnect too much and make the game completely unrecognisable at the top level, don't you risk um, losing your fans or your fan base? Once the game is unrecognisable, why would golfers watch? And nobody else is watching golf but golfers, I reckon. So they need to be somewhat wary about that, but this notion that we need to have special courses because our skill set is so extraordinary. Well, I think there's a point, a point of view with sort of the marketing mindset that you tune in to watch uh, people who are way more extraordinary than you and you want to see them that way. And that comes from, from marketing folks who really aren't golf people. We know that the, the core golf audience actually finds the game more attractive when it is a little more relatable. Um, and that's just, uh, just a difference in philosophy and, and why so much of this issue comes down to the tour and having a lot of, uh, non-golf people and people who are just looking at it as a product to sell, um, probably, uh, driving the philosophy, which is uh, sort of an antagonistic one because you're coming after, what we market, and we're 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 marketing athleticism and and youth and um, and guys doing things you can't do, and that sounds great. I can see where somebody who doesn't know the game or care uh, much about it would it would see that. It's it's just very shallow though, because of, you know it goes back to the argument I had with Jay Monahan uh, a few years ago, we were standing in a, a corporate tent and he was, you know, trying to understand why I have the view I do and why, what's wrong with the tour wanting to, uh, see athletes and distance and all that stuff. And I said, well, 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 then why aren't you putting all your grandstands around the tees? Because if that's what people want to see, then, mm. uh, or it should be in the landing areas to see the ball land with a grid that lets people know. But when you go to a golf tournament, 
and there are people there that are sitting around the greens and they, and they ooh and awe it. And I, I mean, I know we're just so redundant here now from old shows, but they ooh and awe at, at spin and seeing the ball curve and recovery shots and, and shots around the greens where they do things that we can't do. And even, even people who aren't, um, really golfers who watch and you'll, you'll, the, just that control of the ball is way more fascinating uh, to them than than anything else, and and I mean, just look at look at uh, last weekend at the waste management. It was still uh, what the ball did when it hit the ground, and whether it went into a hazard or not. It it really wasn't the the the, the Callaway driving grid on eighteen that was uh, very exciting on television. It was just a sponsored bit, and that's why they do that. But the real fun's back at at fifteen, where they're going forward in two, and, and what happens when the ball hits the green or, or uh, doesn't and then the short par four and what happens when the ball hits the ground and Jordan Spieth talking to his ball and things like that. So this is going to be the the fundamental disconnect uh, and ultimately it's going to come down you know to the major championships and it looks to me like it's a it's a it's a at least a, a three to two or a two uh, uh, three to one vote right now and who knows what the PGA of America thinks but. We know three of them how they feel. We think, although I haven't gotten a response from Augusta yet on this, but we kind of have a good sense. You'd, you'd, you'd they're supportive. You'd, you'd speculate that they would be, wouldn't you? And the, the PGA Tour's own highlights reel at the end of every year is all they need to look at, Shaq. There's almost never yeah. a tee shot in there. <laughs> never. No, the, it's The top ten shots of the year will always be chip-ins. Irons and, yeah, that's yeah right. hole-outs and, yeah. Occasionally Tiger hitting a 40-yard slice out of a fairway bunker. That's the sort yeah. of thing they're going to be. You know, a 350-yard drive never makes the highlight reel because it just isn't that interesting. There's a real laziness, Jeff, is there not, to the whole marketing proposition, just back to the manufacturers for a moment. We can all sort of understand at a, at a surface level their concern about, you know, distance being the thing that they've always always sold, always sold in this game. It has never been any different at any point. It's ramped up and the stakes have gotten higher because, you know, we're talking billions of dollars worth of golf balls every year. But there's a real laziness, is there not, about just, you know, this is their position. That's it. If we can't sell distance, we can't sell anything yeah. is almost what they're saying, which is disappointing, I, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I don't, I don't understand it and, and I never understand it when I look at the possibility that they could they could they could loosen up some rules um, and come up with different things like adjustability. Um, maybe they've run out of ideas. Maybe they just don't have anything else on the drawing board, and it could be that. Um, the clubs are pretty amazing the way they're made and the science behind them, and it just could be as simple that as they've run out of things, and it's about a new color and a new number, and, uh, I mean, everything's longer and straighter. And, and uh, I just would think that you would want to say, Hey, use this as an opportunity, uh, to go to the governing bodies go, okay, we'll, we'll give you, we'll, we'll budge on these things, but we also want some budging on this. And they, they may just not even have a list of things, uh, to go back to them on that with would, that. That it may just be, be that run out of ideas. Clates like course architects, as Brandall keeps telling us, where's the creative golf course architecture to just, fix the problem. Just, wow. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I mean, you know, Sandhill's not creative enough or, Pine Bugle or Bandon or Castle Stewart no, or I mean, the Fry's Head or all, all the great courses exactly. that have been built in the last 30 years. Are yeah. they not creative enough for them? And, you know, and you, I, mean, I mean, you could build holes like the 7th and Pine Valley. That was pretty creative. I mean, that's always going to be an unreachable par 5 because you can only drive it so far down that fairway. Mm-hmm. So, but, but how does the average player play a hole like that? They can't play that. Um, two things, right? I think what be a fair, it'll be a dead certainty that they're, Australian Open would follow the majors. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, yeah, Australia's got no, no truck getting involved in any kind of uh, not following the regulars. Absolutely, I don't think there'd be any, and, any question about and, that. You know, a point I keep making to Americans who don't probably know it even happened was that the whole world suffered a roll. Well, no, it didn't suffer a rollback. It was the best thing for the game because it produced a great generation of players, starting with Seve and Felder. That lot, Nick Price, Norman. Was that the whole world went through a rollback in the late seventies and the early eighties? Yeah, the whole rest of the world, with with no ill effect to the game. No one gave up. No, in fact, it was, was barely even talked about that much. I mean, I wasn't, I didn't play at that time. But how much sort of discussion did that generate, Clates? Much? Well, not not that much. And the biggest opponent was Peter Thompson, and, and for a different reason, which was why are we blindly following the Americans? Uh-huh. 
which I thought I thought I, I thought he was wrong on his point that you know we should stick with the small ball and he, you know imagine how far that thing would be going now but it was yeah. just why are we blindly following what the Americans are telling us to do and it was coming on the heels of bear in mind he was an Australian coming on the heels of the Vietnam War and we blindly followed the Americans into that and that didn't turn out very well and it was like well why are we doing this again yeah a whole bunch of other stuff yeah. at play there. and just the, the other thing that amazes me is the best players ever from Hogan to Nicholas to Sneed to Tiger were the best long and midline players. So I don't understand why. Well, I do understand why Rory's trying to say what he's trying to say, but I'm not sure why the best players, the best iron players, don't want to hit more iron shots. And, you know, they purport to be worried about the 99% of golfers. Yet the only holes that really test their long, their middle and long irons are 250-yard par, par threes and 580-yard par fives, both of which are holes that the 99% of golfers detest because they can't play them. Yeah. So unless you start jamming tees way forward, and you know, which I guess is inventive architecture, then... <laughs> Finally you know, creative architecture, yeah. You know, they purport to be standing up for the 99% of golfers, yet the only way to test the best, play, the, 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 the best part of Rory's game is to build holes that... The 99% of golfers hate yeah. or can't play. Yeah, indeed. So, you know, and sure, you can move the tees forward and back and you can have, have it. But but if you're building a 250-yard par three, you need to build an appropriate size green for it. Yeah, that's right. Start, you know, you start moving the tees, you know, 50 yards, 60, 70 yards forward, and the green's all of a sudden out of scale and too big. So, you know. Indeed. It, it won't happen, Jeff, but with a change of mindset, couldn't this be seen as an amazing opportunity by the tour, at least, if not the manufacturers? Who isn't? in the world tuning in to the first rollback professional event. It would be the, it would be <laughs> yeah. the biggest thing in the world of golf ever, would it not? Well, and the lead up would yeah. be, uh, if they, if they, if they're over there whining and tantrums, it would be about the players talk, telling you what they did with working with their teams mm -hmm. and their equipment fitters, uh, and, and how they've adjusted, There'd be elements like that that would be be great discussion. Now, what, how that lasts, I don't know. And you know, a lot of people ask the question: Well, if they're going to pursue this local rule thing, are there going to be tournaments where they they don't play with this equipment? And and that was sort of the one of the things I think left open by not just just going with bifurcation that they do leave the door open to that kind of question. Uh, I'm but again, I'm going to guess they have figured out a way to do it. And if the four majors or three of the four majors and, and the PGA could probably be brought along too, uh, if, if the majors are playing by certain, I'm sure they'd be in sync. They would, they would, they would, they would not have one rule at one and one at the other. Uh, that will then filter down, I, I believe, to, to the other things. And then if the tour just decides, no, we're not going to play that and, 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 then it's up to the players to decide what they want to do. And that's why I think it'll still come down to this kind of tussle over the majors and possible threats of boycotts. And it, it won't. I was going to say, it's, it's high they stakes. Won't stick. Well, it's high stakes, isn't it, Jeff? It is. Yeah. And, and, and this generation, the, the, but this generation might fall into line. Yeah. But the next yeah. generation doesn't necessarily. Yeah. Uh, but I think that the thing that's changed is there just aren't that many players compensated that well by the manufacturers like they're that maybe 10 15 years ago they put a lot of money into certain players but that mid-level player the they're, they're not they're not paying like they used to they still pay them and they still get but they don't have the sweetheart deals quite like before and so i don't know how much um, you know the titleist billy horschel and webb simpson will always uh say what they say and and uh, there will be a few others, but I don't I don't see that many players paid that well to uh, willing to take up the cause ultimately, because it's just good for business. They make they make uh, their money elsewhere uh, in other endorsements or on the course. Mm. Do we think it's yeah. sorry, Rod? No, no, you get close. Do we think it's that hard to adjust? I mean, Nicholson. <laughs> Not. That generation no. went and played. They came and played the Australian Open. They went and played the Open in Britain, and they changed to a small ball. And they, I mean, Jack's record was extraordinary in the Open. So he clearly adjusted pretty quickly and pretty easily. And the point you made on the no laying up product, Jeff, was that they they all go to Mexico and where the ball's going ten percent <laughs> further, and they figure it out with their track man in about half an hour. Yeah, 
Tops, yes, tops, tops. Yeah. So the, the this oh we can't adjust it. Well, really? You yeah, know? I mean the big plates, the big adjustment would be if they made a significant move on the driver head size. I really don't think they're going to do that. I think they threw that out. But I, I that would be one that would be a significant one. But if you're talking about the the aerodynamics of the ball or the face of the driver, the two things they focused on the most in the main report, I I don't, I just don't see it being that big of a of a change other than the mental hurdle of suddenly when a miss is maybe a little bit more extreme, that might, that that's going to take a little time, but the actual, and, but the driver head would be the interesting one. That would be the one that would, that would throw some people off. Um, but how about, you know, but, but then I, I thought the best comment in all this was, and, and I don't know if he came up with the phrase, which you guys saw, but DeChambeau mentioning the human the factor. Human element, yeah. You know, we always talk about skill and, and people always push back and go, well, how do you define, you know, these things that they're doing now are skills too. And there's, they're right. Those are skills. It's just, there are fewer of them required. And I, th- I thought that was really interesting. That phrase that he, he threw out, um, because that one kind of clicks with people. Yeah. They understand that one more. It's like, oh yeah, we just don't want us to become too much about science and not enough about art or the human factor yeah the the irony of that won't be lost on most of us i'm sure <laughs> given where the comment yeah. came from in the science bearing clades well but he's he's a he's a smart guy he and is, he, yeah. he if you give him a, a good argument and you present those things mm-hmm. um and and he knows enough about playing the game and what he i mean he has leaned on science and to 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 do a lot of the things he's doing but uh, in his heart, he's still an artist with, with shots and, and, and how he approaches it. He thinks that there's a – he values both elements of the game, and so that's why whoever made that case to him, I'm assuming it was John Bodenhammer uh, or Jason Gore, and they probably gave him that phrase, but I don't know that. Uh, it resonated with him, and, and that was fantastic to read. Clades, ultimately, though, for the players, it doesn't matter, does it? Because if push comes to shove – you know, if you went to Rory and said, I'll play you straight up, you go left-handed and I'll play, he's going to take that, isn't he? Because he's, at, the, at the end of the day, for them, it's really just about competing and beating whoever with whatever you happen to be playing with that day. I don't see that being, to for the most part, such a big deal for the players. Now, they've got the relationships with the companies and we know that there's other politics at play there. But ultimately, if you went and challenged Jeff Ogilvy to a match of some sort, he's going to play it, isn't he? And he's going to believe that he's going to yeah. win. There's no real issue there is it i mean rory doesn't care whether he hits at 30 yards less as long as you're hitting at 30 and even if you're hitting at 30 yards past him he's still going to figure out a way to beat you <laughs> that's the that's really what that comes well, down to so ultimately no, the best players are the best players that's right and and and, and the world rankings aren't going to get tipped upside down because the ball's going 20 no, yards exactly right. less or 30 yards short the world rankings are going to be my my guess is exactly the same as they are now yeah the 50th player will still be the 50th player the best player will still be the best player and the you know I don't see why it's going to because because it didn't. I might be wrong here, but when the Pro V came out, I played. I was with Ogilvy last week, and he said, you know, he's talking about when that ball came out, and he said when it came out, it was Stephen Leaney turned up at a tournament in Europe in Monte Castillo, the Volvo Masters, and and he, and he had the new ball, and he said, Jeff, you got to use this ball. It goes twenty yards further, and that well, one, they had no problem adjusting to that, and two, the best players once that ball came out was still Tiger was still the best player. Ernie was still the best player. Phil was still one of the best players. Well, you know, it wasn't that one of those guys fell off the map because the ball completely changed. Further down that pecking order, was it not a bit different? Because, like you, I've spoken to players that era who say that suddenly, and Brad Hughes is a prime example, a guy who was 20 yards longer than a lot of blokes, was suddenly there were guys that he'd played with for years hitting it up with him or past him having switched to that ball. And he didn't get the benefit that they did in some ways. So not that much. is true. But, and, and Stephen Lenny was probably another guy who ultimately was hurt by that ball. I mean, he was runner up in the US Open a couple of years later, but mm-hmm. he was, you know, he was kind of a, when he came out in the late 90s, he was a decent length driver and he finished up being a short driver. So he was, perhaps as an argument, said that, that there was a cohort of players like that who didn't pick up as much as the others because they probably didn't have as much club speed as the others. I don't know. I mean, you would need to ask. One of the scientist guys who could tell you that, but yeah, yeah, that's true. There was a cohort of players who felt they didn't pick up as much as the others. Yeah, suddenly guys were equal with them that hadn't been equal with them before. Jeff, does it matter? I mean, that didn't ruin the game, did it? 
I mean, if if something similar happened in a rolled back world, would it matter? There's a lot of people on the side of this. Oh well, if we're going to have these rule, these local rules and bifurcation, when does it start? When does the poor college kid decide that he's got to change uh, it to the other ball? Like, what about yeah. all of that? Is any of it important? Oh, yeah, it's complicated and messy, and and but I'm guessing based on what we just saw that they've mapped out a a concept and a scenario. And, and when you think about it, if, if it really is just a, a change in ball design and a change in driver face design and a change in the way they test, which are the things we, we thought would be, uh, what they would target, then those things really are not a big deal because those players at those, those, uh, college levels and, and high end amateur levels are, are playing, the same stuff as the pros. So I don't think it would be that big of a deal. Obviously where, you know, it might get complicated is if, uh, if, if they did specify a ball and the companies tried to uh, refuse to make it or, or whatever goes on with that, that could get ugly, certainly. But I, and then obviously if you had local rules that are driver head size at this level, not at that, it gets more complicated. I just don't think they're going to end up there because of those, of the difficulty of enforcement. And uh, so we'll see. They, But I, it seems to me they probably do have this pretty well thought out. And when you start at the major championships, or let's say three of the four, um, that sets quite a, quite a standard. And anybody who wants to qualify for the U.S. Open has to play those clubs. The other uh, obvious issue is coming up with changes that, that can be enforced. And what mm-hmm. do you do? Uh, on that front, and that that is tricky. Where U.S. Open qualifying um, could become a nightmare. Yeah, couldn't it? you got a local club sure. champion who plays amateur stuff, gets through, and well, goes yeah. turns up to the qualifying. He's got to buy a new set they of lines, to, or mm, yeah, that's, yeah, they have to figure that out. How, how did that? Tra- you were playing at the elite level the last time we had an equipment transition, Clades. We know that you were the first player, and I think you were the only player in the field to use the big ball when you won the Australian amateur. How did that transition play out? Do you recall for most players at that time? Well, yeah, uh, I decided that, and I wasn't sure, certain I was going to be a pro, but I decided in 1970, the start of 1978, that if I, if I was going to be a pro, I would have to learn to play with that ball. So I just changed and never hit a small ball again. And I think by the end of, I think in, by, by the end of that year, I think the big ball was compulsory on the Australian tour, sometime in the late 70s. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I think it changed for top-level amateur golf before it changed for club golf. So there were kind of four transitions. I think the Australian Open went first and the Tour went maybe a year later. And then top-level amateur golf and then club golf. I think there were kind of four four kind of steps over six or seven years. I think uh, the small ball was out in 1980. End of 83, I think, was the last time you could play a small ball in club golf. So... You know, but by, I mean, I was the only player using a big ball in that amateur, but, you know, I think by two amateurs later, everyone was. Yeah. You know, was and, and it was, no one complained. It wasn't complicated. It was, you know, it just, well, it just wasn't that complicated. You just figured out how, to, uh, and I think it's Australians as a race, are, we proved it with the COVID thing. We're much more compliant than Americans. Someone says, wear a mask. Okay, we wear a mask. Wear a mask Americans yeah. have a massive fight about it, and half the country wears it, and half of them doesn't. And if we have a gun massacre, which we did, we got rid of the guns. Mm. But America's still arguing about it. So, uh, as a race, we're much more compliant. So when it came down to the switching golf balls, everyone said, "Okay, that sounds like a good idea." And no one, you know, a few complained, but hard, and no, no one gave up, and, and we changed balls. But it's always much more of a fight in America. You know, it's a, it's, it's a much more polarized and much less compliant country than Australia, I think. Vibrant, I think, is the word you're looking for, Clates. Is that right, Jack? It's a more vibrant <laughs> well, society. Freedom. Ah, right, right. right. They're, they're, Chamber of Commerce, jeez, come on. Yeah, there's so much more free than we are, right? We yeah, that, recognize yeah, that's, that. let's, let's, We've got no, no freedom <laughs> to at all. Yeah. Uh, anyway. you'll, you, won't, you won't find a shortage of Australians claiming that in this day and age as well. I think I think things might have changed since the 70s in a, in a lot of that. You've only got to go on Twitter and Facebook to know that. Shaka, the manufacturer is missing an opportunity here, and I think we've spoken about this before. If we let's, – let's teleport ourselves. 10 years into the future and we've got this situation where there's local rules for the elite amateur and professional events, wouldn't there be a fairly hefty core of decent players who would see it as a badge of honour to use the 
pro gear, quote unquote. We see this marketing with PXG. They've been the best at it, selling this premium high-end stuff at outrageous prices. Why can't the manufacturers embrace that, I wonder? Is there just yeah, not they, enough I've, in that I've, market? I've, I've asked the question. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know that that there are people who would love to play. It's like anything else. There are people who want to play what the tour pros play. There are people who just want something that's easier to hit. And then there are people who want something that's that's not as expensive. And all they do is focus on that eight hundred thousand. And Mark King gave the number. I think it was eight hundred thousand. Uh, I don't know where that number is now. Who just are essentially kind of guaranteed to buy the next new driver and and to be interested in the latest newest thing and that's who they're that's who they're focused on that and and it's um it's just uh it's it's strange to me uh but that's where they've always been and what and what as a group collectively have manufacturers done to grow that 800,000 number it seems to me that all they do is fight over the 800,000 with nobody ever saying yeah. hang on if we increase that to 1.2 we'd all be better off I know. Well, they, one way they can increase it is they give away so much free equipment to uh, good players, not 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 women, but good good male players. Uh, <laughs> that, that 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 eats into the number too. Uh, it's insane. But I think you rate. But another point to your question is uh, is is what do they do to do anything to grow the game? Well, they don't, do they? I mean, Callaway did, is partnering with Steph Curry. Um, and, and funding scholarships and doing some great stuff at, at uh, Howard University. I mean, the list of things you can name that these companies do to help to, to make donations, to, to donate old equipment, to they don't do anything. They're, that's why you know, Rory, was, his comments were so, I mean, they, they could just do a little and it'd be more than they're doing. So they, they whine and whine that nobody's doing anything to grow the game and, and this and that. Um, or or to, to to sponsor. I mean, you know, a lot of people wonder why don't they occasionally sponsor a golf course in a community? Mm. You know, and and put their signage around, make that course, you know, devoted to their product. Yep. Um, not crazy, but just you know, a place that maybe was in need, or 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 city courses that where the where things have declined and the pro shop is useless, and um, and 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 put them give themselves a, a presence at a busy a place that and and help rejuvenate it a little bit not not go crazy uh deep on that i've had a lot of people over the years think that's a neat proposal and i just <laughs> i just go i have bad news for you they don't care no. they don't care they don't believe in needing they believe the, the everybody else should be funding growing the game funding all these efforts so that they can profit and and so that's what makes they're uh, whining even that much more obnoxious, and maybe at this—that's where the USGA and the RNA just finally went. Oh my gosh, enough! Jeez, you guys, at least throw the game a few bones and do some things, or donate, donate. Uh, you know, have a trade-in program. How about a trade-in program of 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 drivers where we give the ones you brought in to the first tee, yeah. or. Nothing. I mean, they just do nothing like that. Even a bare minimum, it's pathetic. It wouldn't be too hard now that you to join the dots, would it? You take a local muni course, and as you say, it becomes the you know a tightless place. You sell all of your secondhand gear there. You trade it in stuff. All goes there. Or you could sell firsthand gear. You can sell it all. You could sell you know, both. Whatever. That's right. But you you create your, your brand loyalty for life, don't you? I mean, most people stick with the first set of the first branded set of clubs they get. They're at least going to buy exactly. their next set is going to be that. So there's. And, and if, opportunities. You, if you have helped rejuvenate a place, you know, maybe yeah, where the pro shop was closed or yep. it was terrible um, and the range balls were terrible and yep. now they're good. Yeah. Um, I, you, you, it, it just would not be a huge outlay. Um, and and it, it, it would be the kind of thing they want. But they don't they really don't care about that. They care about reaching these these this set of rich people who buy a lot of clubs. And that's although that said, look at PXG, they've started to kind of dial back to go to more pricing and an approach that is not quite as elitist. So it's a, it is a fine line, but, but they definitely show no interest in that, in that group beyond, um, that, that, that isn't quite as well That's off. Right. And it's, uh, 
It's the PXG it's company culture, sad. isn't it? Shaq, when they learned they weren't going to sponsor any tour players or have any tour presence, they didn't need it. Their equipment was good enough to yeah. send. It was only a year later they had 12 on their books. Uh, interesting, yeah. Winter Park presented by Titleist. Why not? Uh, that would be fantastic. Clates, whilst it's unquestionably a responsibility of the governing bodies to have some interest in the health of the game itself and the numbers of people who are playing it, it's not the sole responsibility of the governing bodies. Is it not a incumbent upon all of us in golf and the golf industry to play some part and why don't we see the manufacturers well I don't know I mean sure it's it's incumbent upon you know if you want to grow the game it's about parents encouraging their kids and clubs being welcoming places and the tour being fun to watch and I mean golf's always going to attract people because it's such a great game I mean mean, the the game itself grows the game because it's such a great game to play but but you've got to have good interesting public golf is a really important part of it Public golf might be the most important part, Clayton. Yeah. It is without yeah, I mean, doubt the lifeblood, isn't it? Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm not sure how many kids got into golf through caddying. I did, but, you know, that's all disappeared. But um, think about clubs. Can someone explain to me why I'd never, I hadn't thought about it until I was in a pro shop the other day and I looked at the prices, why a driver is 850 Australian dollars and a four and a three woods four hundred and fifty dollars. Why is there a four hundred dollar price difference between a driver and a three wood? When we were kids and buying clubs, the woods or a, a wood or a driver a driver was the same same cost as a three wood, the same as a four wood. The, the, the driver didn't cost any more. So so why is it now double the price? Surely it can't be double the cost to make. Or that you know, just seems bizarre to me that they've somehow conned golfers into thinking that this thing's worth $400 more than that when it's essentially the same thing. It's still a golf club with a head and a shaft and a grip. Can't, it can't cost $400 more to make it, can it? You wouldn't have thought. <laughs> Jack, you can you sort of... Think not. You can understand, I mean, that the profit margins in golf clubs, whilst there's an enormous uh, bill to cover, not just for the research, but the paying of players at the top level and all that sort of stuff, the profit margins have to be pretty good, don't they? And we in Australia pay a lot more than what you do in the US. I can recall when the first titanium drivers came out, they were around $1,000 or more here in Australia, and they were sort of four or 500 I think, uh, over in the States. And that's not that uncommon, and yet you won't see a golf bag without one in Australia at most places in this day and age. So the profit margins are obviously good, Shaq. Maybe we underestimate just how profitable the golf club and ball business might be, and that's perhaps why the manufacturers are as protective and aggressive in the defense of the, the status quo as they are. Is that possible? Well, cert- certain ones are, yeah. I mean, TaylorMade and Titleist both have areas where they're really protective. Callaway has uh, diversified their holdings in recent years uh, to be less reliant on the driver and that's and and if you look at their numbers they're doing great and they're selling a lot of they've become uh they're doing well on uh, wedges uh irons they're you know they, they they have diversified and it seems like a smarter approach um but but wall street absolutely slammed them a few times early on when they did it so you know that's the other thing they're dealing with these forces like that that mm-hmm. are that are ridiculous. Um, you know, they go and they try to, to diversify and, and their stock gets, gets hammered. So that's why you see, uh, Titleist in particular, obviously, uh, uh, really dig in with, with the ball and understandably, but it is always great when these things come out. I, I got, I got two different emails last week, long emails saying, I'm trying to understand something. So if they were to slightly change the ball, is it, isn't it more likely that people are going to be more devoted to their Titleist because they'll trust Titleist to adapt to you know the new dimple design, or if the ball got slightly heavier, slightly larger, lighter, whatever happens? And of course, we've discussed this multiple times that 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 intense brand loyalty that they have um, w- should suit them almost better if there is a tweak to this, to the rules. And they just, they just don't agree with that. And, um, I wonder why, Shaq, do you reckon they've got research that tells them that? Because clearly when they, the they must, is the yeah. one, they are protecting their position in the market. They are by yeah. far and away in the golf ball business, the best. I think you're, you're a Titleist player, aren't you, Clades, despite all your criticisms in this? No, yeah, I've played yeah. the Titleist ball since 1980, yeah. 1981, 1982. They'll so pry it out years. of your cold, dead hands, I take it. Oh, that's time comes, such loyalty. It's touching. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> that, is, but I, that is loyalty. But they I must have research to say, Shaq. They must have. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. it makes no sense. Because the potential also, for this 
all the companies also have research rod that show that people do not want to play non-conforming equipment. That's right. Which is why, yeah. So this not calling their bluff more on that is something that I don't, uh, I'm surprised you, the governing bodies haven't done because they all know that it's, now things have changed a little bit. As Clayton said, you know, uh, the, the atmosphere is different and there's some bizarre kind of love of breaking the rules now or taking it right up to the edge and people who are a little bit dirty or cool. And so I don't know, maybe they had to retest that, that philosophy in this, this debate of going, of making some non-conforming stuff and seeing what happens. Do, you reckon Do we think that the, the, the Democrat voters will play with the conforming equipment and the Republicans will play with the non-conforming <laughs> equipment? Are you how trying, we think it'll break in America? Are you trying you never know. to start trouble, Clates, from this side of the world? Just yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, it is an interesting time. I mean, we're going we're gonna to see it, what happens. Um, and, and then there's kind of the whole... There's the pandemic. There's the amount of play that's happening just because people have more time. Um, then you have your younger influencers. You know, no laying up uh, kind of has their take. And now uh, the uh, the barstool team is endorsed by TaylorMade. They 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 won't sign certain women or give uh, throw NB Park some clubs in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> but they've got they've got uh, Barstool now as a paid endorser of their stuff. So it's a it's a strange time, and and uh, I don't I don't uh, really know how it's going to play out. But I'm just I'm just heartened that, that what they rolled out, and I mean we haven't even gone through all the stuff yet. But they've got some amazing data, and and uh, and that's what was was so obnoxious about Rory's comments that that. Uh, uh, they, they wasted their money on this. Like, really? Come on. Come on. Be smarter than that, Rory. Be smarter than that. I th yeah. think he'll regret having said that at some point yeah. because it just doesn't just, it doesn't stand up to the smell test. And, I mean, Rory's smarter than that. What is – that doesn't that play – I mean, there's there's a real animosity between the top players and the governing bodies. It's, an, yeah. it's genuine, Shaq. You could sort of almost – you could almost feel the the animosity coming out of Rory there. It's just a real ah, – yeah, they just wasted their money. That, that, that's not healthy, is it? Um, no. How do they fix no. that, I wonder? It's uh, yeah, and I, I assume it's just kind of really. Uh, God, I can't even think where I was writing about this today, but I, I was writing something. Oh well, it, I mean, it just comes down to though um, the. I think some things as simple as uh, oh, I know where I wrote it. I wrote a piece on I'm, I'm ranking the majors, and one of the things that I mean, the RNA is less despised by the players than the USGA, and I think the USGA, even though they've raised the purse of the U.S. Open and. Uh, they've got Jason Gore who's making great progress, communicating more to the players, which was a smart move, um, because he's able to do that effectively, but the, the, the ground he has to make up on that front is just, is just, uh, it's just, it's an uphill climb because of the course setup things. And they just feel like they, USGA tried to embarrass them, even though that's always been kind of the view of players, this group. Uh, is a little bit softer, and then the course setup when it goes over the edge does really make it hard to defend um, mm. them when they do that. So I think you're dealing with that situation. But the RNA's purse is very low, and they're going to start. You watch; they'll start bringing things up like that in this discussion. And uh, but there's no question that the players do have sort of a uh, uh, an odd loathing. And it's funny because Clates, would you agree that uh, the governing bodies were used to be a a lot snootier, you know, even Sandy mm. Tatum, a wonderful, wonderful man, just a brilliant man. And, and just, a, but he said things that you know, imagine if he, if he said what he said at Wingfoot today in defense yeah. of a setup, how much they just go that Tatum, that clown. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's a change, but I, I feel like the groups, the people they have today are just so much more approachable and you just say, Holy cow, these guys, what would they do with, uh, some of the old RNA and USGA types. Yeah, it seems to me like they're, I mean, I'm a bit out of touch, but it seems to me like they're, I don't, I don't want to say they're much better than they used to be, but they're, yeah, that's much, you know, well, well it's not much less blue-blooded, but, but there's certainly, I would have thought, less antipathy between the pros and the amateurs than there was 30 years ago. Yeah. You would think, but uh, it seems like in some ways it's it's uh, almost worse. It's yeah. how do you how important is it for the governing bodies to get across that, Shaq? What do they? 
for example, so Rory saying what he said the other day, and we saw this skewed coverage in the golf media yeah. beyond of well, what was chosen, and that's not uncommon. I mean, God, I come from David no. newspaper background, and that's what you do. Dog bites man is a much better story. My man bites dog is a better story than dog bites man. Uh, we know that. But how important and influential might those players be? And there's probably only a handful of them. You would put Tiger and Rory in that camp, I think, of genuinely influential beyond just sort of the professional circles. How important might they be? And do the players understand their influence, do you think, at that level? Well, I think I think they overinflate their influence um, to some extent. And they they believe some of this stuff that uh, that that they see in those headlines and the and the swooning and and uh, raving over their their uh, their wisdom, but then you go and you 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 talk to real golfers and they the people who've had time to read Webb Simpson's loony thoughts or um, or or the way some of these players react to the news, whereas you know people will read what Bryson said if they do and they'll go oh. Wow. I would have thought he would have been a hothead about this, but yeah. here he had some really interesting thoughts. He reached out to them. He was the one who called, you know, he wanted to see if he was being targeted and but he was he was thoughtful. So I, I, I do think though, you know, still the big issue is I think Clayton's is making his breakfast. He is, uh, yeah. is that a microwaving and a muffin or what are we what <laughs> no, are we have? That's the Nineteen eighty three Australian Open champion making his breakfast. He's Peter no. Fowler. Peter oh, Fowler. Chuck there. He's, he's, <laughs> he's staying with me. The Australian Tour have played three weeks in a row on the Mornington Peninsula. They played two wow, weeks. Oh, nice. Two, two weeks in a row at Moon and Lynx. So he's. In fact, they finished the tournament on Sunday, and the new tournament is starting today without a one-day break. Awesome. And they're starting again. So, Chuck at sixty-two is still. Well, you finished 26 last week. Took pretty good against a field of young guys who think they're good players. They <laughs> he can still play. Been... Don't worry about that. He's the most amazing. He's our Bernhard Langer, isn't he, Clates, here in Australia? He's our Bernhard Chook. Langer. He's yeah. our Bernhard Langer, yeah. yeah. He really is. He's he amazing. Is. Lovely bloke. Remarkable. Anyway. One of the good that's guys. That's right. Did you, did, you teach, did, you wanna, did you and Chuck teach Elvis some new words, young Elvis Smiley? I know you played with him during the week. Uh, we, <laughs> well, it was, it was funny. We should stop talking about the ball. It was funny. Elvis had a shot on the – so Jeff Elvis is the best 18-year-old player since Adam Scott in Australia. Absolutely, So yeah. I caddied for him in the first of the three tournaments where he came within a shot of being the youngest player ever to win a tournament in Australia, pro tournament. He's an amateur. And he, but he had a shot on Saturday out of the trees, and he, I thought he wimped out because I thought he was good enough to hit, the, hit, hit a three-wood over the trees onto the green, but he chipped it out. Anyway, after dinner about – on Tuesday Tuesday night after the tournament, we were sitting here having dinner. I said, right, Elvis, we're going to go out and play that shot. So we drove drove for the golf course, <laughs> tipped, tipped out three balls. And nice. We, and we proved to him that and – he, and he did whack a three-wood over the trees into the greenside bunker, which was pretty impressive. But um, So that, that was So fun. you were right. No, I was right. Yeah, your chip out was a wimping out. Of, and it, it finished out. It was, it was the only green he missed for the day. And he did shoot. He we played with Ogilvy the first two wow. days. After fourteen holes, Jeff was seven under and Elvis was six over. Wow! And the winner stiffed an eight on at the last hole to beat him by a shot. Yeah, he shot 75, 67, 63, 63. There's a hell of a weekend. Which was pretty amazing. So anyway, yeah. So Chuck and I had a week with him where we taught him some things about golf, hopefully. And so but he's a really smart kid. So. You can't and, buy. That education that he's getting there—that is genuinely and very important, isn't it? You, you, you can't you can't learn the stuff he's learning from blokes who've done it their whole lives any other way than just sort of being there. So it's a real service that you're doing for him uh, in that sense. That's that's uh, that's amazing. That was a hell of a tournament. Well, that, I don't know whether you saw much of it, Shaq, but women, amateurs, well, men. Well, well, we, the first first two rounds, Jeff was Elvis, Jeff Ogilvy, and Suo played together. Oh wow! Um, on the well, that's sixth, a group. <laughs> on the 16th tee, Sue Elvis and Brad Kennedy, who won, tied at 16, at 15 under, I think. Yep. Kennedy finished eagle par birdie. Elvis finished birdie, birdie, birdie. And Sue finished birdie par par and lost by two. So it was um, – oh, Sue, Sue was three back. Elvis was one back. Yep. So – but with three holes to go, we had an 18-year-old amateur – an LPGA player and a 46-year-old Japanese tour player who's won a lot of times in Japan, tied for the lead. It was fantastic. Yeah, 
It was a really quite wow. special event and a, right. and a potential blueprint for something quite special down here, I think, you know, and you'd like to see that go around the world. I mean, that, look, the finish, you couldn't have scripted any better, could you, Clades? And you're not always going to get that. But the model has some real legs, I think, that notion yeah. of amateurs, juniors, women and blokes. All, it gives everybody an interest in going along to watch and it helps to develop players. That's fantastic yeah, we- for Suo. That that experience that, that week is going to be fantastic for her this coming year, I would think. I mean, being in the mix in an event like that and with players like that, that's, you know, you, you, again, you can't buy it, can you? You can't practice it. You can only do it. So, Yeah, she played really well. And, and they got the tees set up pretty well. You know, the, the course wasn't, I mean, it wasn't that hard for her. Well, it wasn't that difficult, of course, in fairness. But, you know, the setup worked pretty well. So it was um it was it was a fun model for Australia. Yeah, they got a lot of things right. Another one coming up in a couple of weeks' time up here in Sydney. So I'm very very keen to go. Yeah, I'm I'm catting for Elvis up there at Bonnie Doon. So given given I redesigned the course, I should be able to. <laughs> yeah, one <laughs> would should, hope you'd be able to help you him. Finally, get him over the line. around. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Yeah, uh, it, indeed. Back to the ball for a minute, Shaq. Have we got any indication of a timeline? I don't think is it six months the comment period. Everyone will be having their yeah. say, but do we know what happens after that? There's no sort of set timeline, is there, for when something might happen, or what order, or how quickly something might be rolled out? I don't think. Yeah, I've been wanting to spend a little more time on that. Like I said, I tried to kind of pin them down on the on the driver length one, and I couldn't. Um, but uh, I didn't also sense it was strictly because they were. USGA was 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 avoiding the the topic. They they said, look, this is now in that second period, and they have the deadline. So I don't know the timing after that March fourth deadline. My guess, though, on the on whatever they decide to do, that the earliest we would see these rules implemented would be twenty twenty four. I think pre pandemic it was twenty twenty three, if they went down this road. Um, but I think they've mapped that out to be. Uh, kind of the, the the timeline depending on what they end up doing and and for certain things and as Clay's laid out you know there may be a tiered element to this um, and we haven't even mentioned grooves that was no. on, thrown in there as well uh, you know I wouldn't be surprised to see them approach that too because more and more people are noticing that so I, I think part of it is they threw it all out there uh, just to just to send the companies around in circles writing papers and and making defenses but uh yeah, you know, for all I know, they 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 have they have an open mind because of what's happened in the last year, and and that they do feel more people are are understanding the issue. So we've discussed. Uh, I think that's could true. Could drag out longer, yeah. but I don't think so. I think that's true, don't you, Shaq? I think there's been movement amongst the general golf population on this topic. I think more golfers feel like something needs to change than perhaps did ten years ago. I do think that that rollback position is much more broad than it uh, than it have it oh, has yeah. been i see way more comments and i bet clay says too of, of i just I, you know i i got a lot of uh reaction to my my uh stance of sort of that the majors will will continue to excel but the other week to week is a little harder to watch um more often because of the way the game is played and more and more people are noticing that and less enthralled by by the way the game is played or the or watching wedges into holes and, 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 and it's, that's all age groups, by the way, that's not, and, um, uh, just an older group saying, ah, kids don't do it like we used to, or, or they used to, like Tom Kite used to play. It's, it's all age groups that are noticing that it's, um, not as exciting and interesting. So well, the, I think the cool kids are on board, aren't they? Shaq, no laying up, fried egg, uh, barstools. A lot of the cool kids are on board. Nah, the barstool mission. guys are not. But, no, no, uh, but they're going to be all tailor made, and and well, unless the USGA, uh, you know, because uh, <laughs> they've they've done work for them. So yeah, but but when Clates was talking about catting, that 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 did, uh, you know, that is still a big uh, part of this discussion that's got to be figured out. Is you still see a lot of reactions where it's 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 there are young people going oh that's just old people wishing it was better in their day they still have to overcome that um and i don't know especially with with better golfers um how that will play out because because i i do see a lot of better players today kind of uh, rolling their eyes at at this it, it's just people from other generations that um, are just just wishing the game was played away, or, or Tiger wishes you so he could still be relevant, crap like that. And yeah. as we know, Nicholas was on this topic when he was in his when prime. He was the top player, that's exactly right. As was Tiger, you know, way back kind of, in the early Yeah, 2000s. I mean, he won a Masters while he's. St- I mean, I wish he would just more definitively come out and say it's uh, you know do the ball. Um, mm. 
but he, he, he hasn't gotten there yet, but we'll, 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 oh. he's, he's, he has increasingly, uh, nudged his comments in certain directions and enough to, that we know how he feels. And, uh, I don't blame him for not maybe taking on, on the full responsibility yeah. of it all. Last thing, cause we've got to let Clates go. Clates, does Elvis think that you're an old fuddy daddy like you used to yeah, think Peter Thompson that's what was? I was to know. Is that what his take is on your thoughts on the game? Uh, no, I don't think so. No, I think he kind of, for an 18 year old kid, you don't expect him to get it because he, he just plays golf. But yeah. no, I, no, I, you know, we spoke about it during the week and I, no, I think he gets it. And it's certainly, I mean, for a skinny kid, you know, he's 18 year old and he's, I don't know what he weighs, but he's pretty skinny, but it's a ball long way. You know, it's amazing. And what's impressive is how straight he hits it. Yeah. And he drives it like an arrow, he drives it like Norman used to, like arrow straight and long. And, but no, I think he gets it. And I think, you know, he's the, prototypical kid who would benefit for having more difficult and longer shots into the green because he's such a great iron player. He's a legitimate, so, seriously good player, isn't he? He's, he yeah, stands out. Good he's a really, really, really good player. Um, you know, his mum was a, Jeff was, his mum was a Wimbledon doubles champion, I think, US Open doubles perhaps, and she was a top 25 singles player in the world. So it's a bit of the kind of tennis connection mm. again. So it's an interesting connection, you know, the quarters and the ruffles and the smileys. Smileys, and yeah, they're, they're all kind of tennis players to start, or well, their parents were. Yeah. Hey, quick question. I had a, a friend uh, I was telling we were doing the pod here, and, and he, he wanted to know what you guys thought of. Uh, he watched the Australian Open all last night and wondered if you if there's a sense on the golf side that they uh, canceled too quickly with the golf uh, and, sh- and should have figured out a way to delay. And, and I, I said, my only reaction is, if they had delayed it, 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 and I believe this was said at the time that it would have just gotten into the this tar- type of this time of year in the golf schedule where all the good players want to be either taking appearance fun- money in the Middle East or playing on the West Coast, getting ready for the Masters. Well, that's the thing. Tennis and golf, you can't compare the two. And the Australian Open's a major. It's that simple. Yeah. The tennis, it, yeah. it, it, it's I mean, it's like the Masters. It, it kind of has yeah. to go ahead. To, the Australian Open yeah. golf is no more or less important necessarily than the John Deere in in that sense. Much harder thing to do too, isn't it, Clay? It's 156 players plus caddies and support staff, and there's a lot more people involved in a golf tournament, I would think, than a tennis tournament. How many people in the Australian Open field, including both sides of the draw? Would it be that many? In tennis? Yeah. Oh, well, the the singles draws are at 132, and then oh, there's doubles. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah, there are, th- okay. there are not, thousands, not, not thousands of tennis players, but I would have thought there were at least 500, okay. more probably. Okay, well, then that's my yeah. argument of that going. Yeah. So, so way more than golf. But and the problem with the Australian Open golf was that no one was going to come here and quarantine for two weeks that's to exactly play an Australian right. Open. That's exactly, yeah. Okay. So just not but feasible, not, not but, practical. But they'll come here for the tennis to quarantine for two weeks to – yeah. yeah, like the Masters or the US Open or the, the Open Championship or the PGA, you know, it's a, Although, it's a step you know, above, so you do it. Um, Liz Smiley made an interesting, who's commentating, Elvis's mum made an interesting point. So what the tennis players didn't understand was when they went to New York and Paris, the players were being protected against the general population from the virus. What they didn't understand was when they were coming to Australia, the whole point was protect was to protect the general population from, <laughs> from the players. From them, yeah. And the, and the, and the players didn't understand that. They kind of <laughs> it's known. It's like, uh, no, no, we, you know, we, we've got no cases here. No. Now, th- the only way this is going to be, turn into a disaster if one of the players comes here and starts spreading it. So you guys sit in your hotel for two weeks and be thankful for your $100,000 when you're losing the first round and don't complain about it. And don't you see this? Be- I think this is going to be the case with the Open Championship and the Olympics. Uh, both mm-hmm. that they're good. It's not, it, yeah, it's the same thing. The athletes think it's, uh, it's one thing and it's actually the opposite. We don't, we don't want you bringing this thing here. Yeah. We, we're actually acting and working hard to, to stop this. <laughs> yeah. We don't want you degenerates bringing it over here. I mean, yeah. seems like that's where we're headed with the open championship. I wrote in my piece today. I, I think they'll be the first to require vaccination because they're, they're getting people vaccinated and, yeah, well, that's right. And, uh, the, the first thing uh, the UK's had gotten right for a long time in terms of the pandemic, isn't it? Is actually getting the vaccination rolled out. So, yeah, time, so. it seems like that could be a stumbling block for those two events if uh, things don't change. And I understand the sports being reluctant to to get athletes in the front of the line, but you have to do some. You have to you, to help comfort people that this is not going to hurt them. Although we seem to already be getting past that somewhat. So uh, anyway, I just but I did. That's funny. <laughs> the, the, and of course, what happened? By the way, they somebody on the charter flight, right? Uh, yeah, one yep. of the one of the guys uh, on the plane. Yeah, yep. 
Yeah, well, she was complaining that she was on a different part of the plane. It's not fair that I've got to isolate for 14 days because I was on a different part of the plane. (laughs) (laughs) Turned out she tested positive. Yeah. 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 One one of the great things about it that we we will let you go, Clotes. I thought one of the great things about that, Clotes, was that a bunch of other athletes jumped in and told the tennis players, just just call it. (laughs) Nobody nobody wants to hear you complaining uh, because there's a lot of people actually suffering. And it was other other athletes and other tennis players got in there and did all that. And I thought that was a real... Mm. A real sort of a positive. All right, we'll wrap it up there. Um, we didn't right. even get to the notion of bifurcation by stealth, but we'll we'll have other well, episodes we've got to talk. Time and yeah, I think we all need to read up all this. I material think so. And, yeah, I've not and, had a chance uh, to read break it through. down. There's a really there's two really interesting things. Uh, a couple of uh, studies and different things. We might try to get some people on um, if they'll they'll talk to us from the USGA side. And by the way, also uh, just uh, you'll look on the uh, blog uh, later on. There's Major League Baseball is. Is tweaking their their ball to to mm. maybe not go quite as hard off the bat uh, for the upcoming season. Interesting. So uh, plenty more to talk yeah. about. So we haven't finished with this issue yeah. yet. Oh, there's a lot to talk. Lots about. of it. Shaq, great to catch up with you, mate. Always Thanks, is. Look forward to meeting again soon. And Clates, yep. we'll let you go to your meeting, mate. Thank you, and say good day to Chuck Fowler for us. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Thank you. Mate. State of the game is a talk and golf production. Theme music, Writer's Retreat, provided by Lloyd Cole. Visit www.lloydcole.com for more information. For more golf podcasts, log on to www.talkandgolf.com.